Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, it's the new year, and it's also the time when people start rushing to gyms and begin in on their New Year's diet. Now, for anyone who listens to the show regularly, you know that I'm not a fan of diets. Did you know that the word diet in Latin means a prescribed way of life? But these days, that meaning has shifted to represent a temporary restriction of food, usually in an attempt to lose weight. It's the start of the new year, and that means people are busy making their New Year's resolutions because we all want to get started off on the right yes. foot. We're having to work. Have you seen the U.S. News and World Report's latest publication about the best diets in 2020? What if I told you it is more important when you eat than what you eat? Do you know which foods make up a good diet? Well, there are others in the field that think like this too, and although diets have been the rage for decades, a shift in how we approach food as it relates to our health began over 25 years ago. In 1993, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch were dietitians working next to each other in the same office. Both of them, in keeping with the wisdom of the time, spent their days counseling their clients on nutrition and meal planning, all with the aim of helping them lose weight. But both of them had lingering doubts. Discipline and dieting worked for their clients for a time, but inevitably diets proved impossible to maintain and natural hunger resurfaced. When Triboli and Resh shared their dissatisfaction with one another, they realized that there must be a different approach to eating. One that emphasized satiety, not restriction. Intuition, not discipline. Pleasure, not austerity. And they created a philosophy of food that did just that and it was called Intuitive Eating. They published their first book called Intuitive Eating, an Anti-Diet Approach in 1995. Since then, many dietitians have adopted this approach to intuitive eating, and one of these experts is Lorna DiPetrello. Now, Lorna was born and raised on the East Coast right here in St. John's, Newfoundland, and completed her BSc in Nutrition at Acadia University. Her practice has been dedicated to continuing evidence-based education as a member of the Dietitians of Canada and more recently in holistic nutrition with the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. Now she's moved to the mainland and now she's the owner of the Yoga Vine Integrated Health Studio and joined me virtually from Beamsville, Ontario to share more about this approach of intuitive eating and what we need to know as we start a healthy new year. Welcome to the show, Lorna. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to see you. You know, you're a Newfoundlander, but you are on the mainland right now, and you've been doing dietetics since I've known you. Can you walk the listeners through your background and what your specialties are? Absolutely. So I am a dietitian, registered dietitian, and trained through the Ottawa Hospital. I did a Northern Focus. I lived um, seven years in Northern Ontario in a very remote place. Uh, 12 hours northeast of Toronto, actually. So I had a northern focus, very rural based, um, which, you know, definitely brought me um, in link with Newfoundland and, and smaller areas and towns, um, similar habits, cultures. And then I moved out of the hospital setting in the dietitian world, moving more into private practice, mm -hmm. and uh, now in an integrated health team. And then I decided to evolve my current habits as an intuitive eater and realize that this was a practice that was being developed in intuitive eating 
coaching, which is now I'm working towards the counseling aspect of it. Uh, and that was with Evelyn Tribal, and it's becoming much more of an evidence-based model that's being used. So, Yeah, well, actually, tell me a little bit more about intuitive eating before we get into the New Year's resolutions and diets. Absolutely. So intuitive eating is, it's a new concept that people are adopting. It is a validated evidence-based behavioral model that is implemented as a structure to help people move away from diet culture and move away from just gimmicks, weight-centered. So it it moves more into a behavioral-focused model for intervention. And there are 10 different elements that we look at for intuitive eating. Some people consider it to be the same as mindfulness, but it is different than mindfulness. Um, We do use mindfulness in intuitive eating, but it is more of an evidence-based structure. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me that you may be the same view as myself, and that is that diets, which are, you know, temporary ways of eating to achieve some sort of, you know, potentially usually weight loss for people might not be your favorite thing. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So diet culture is something that is primarily based with weight. So when we focus on a weight based implication for health, it gets very tangly there because our weight is not behavioral change. And now the new obesity guidelines are definitely shifting away from saying we need to to lose weight and then your health will become more of a pattern or, or, or more of an implication for a positive lifestyle moving forward. And it just doesn't work that way. So trying to create more of a behavioral change for lifestyle, looking at health from a whole body perspective, mind, body, spirit, and moving away from a diet. So there's so many different things, of course, that we know in every year, there's something new right now. We have intermittent fasting. We've got keto, which used to be active. So all of these different ways to look at getting weight off where people measure happiness and health with weight. So really trying to take that back. We know that diets, more and more research is coming out that diets just simply create a pattern for weight regain. It Mm -hmm. plays havoc with the resting metabolic rate. We've got the obesity journal in 2016 that took participants from the biggest loser and 14 out of those 16 participants regain weight. We've got the twin study, the Minnesota mini starvation study. We've got, you know, more and more evidence that's coming up to show that we just simply regain the weight and the body is just, it always will to reboot and play havoc with trying to just get weight loss. So mm-hmm. moving away from the diet culture and happiness in your weight. So more about, you know, cliche, loving who you are, but really building behaviors and lifestyles around where you are now. Well, there's two things about that. Number one, you know, when people lose weight, their body will actually not only regain that weight, but sometimes it gains more in case that diet ever happens again. So sometimes dieting can be the best way to gain weight in the long run. And secondly, I think your point about obesity being the primary outcome is 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 super valid. Weight loss through healthy eating and through changing any behavior is a byproduct. It's a secondary factor. It shouldn't be the primary thing we're going for. If we're healthy and we're taking care of ourselves, our body will migrate to a better weight. And I think that's important. So how does someone become an intuitive eater? Well, to help get there, Triboli and Resch came up with the 10 principles of intuitive eating. 
all of which focus on creating a healthier relationship with food. These principles essentially teach you to tune into your body as opposed to just following a food prescription or a diet. The first principle is to reject the diet mentality. This means ditching diet books and avoiding articles that tell you how to lose weight quickly. Number two is to honor your hunger. Learning to listen to your hunger cues are crucial. Focusing on keeping your body nourished with the right foods can help prevent overeating. Number three is to make peace with your food. This means giving yourself permission to eat what you want when you want it. Principle four is challenging the food police. Tribbly and Resch urge people to remove good and bad thinking from eating. Do they have a bowl of ice cream? Well, don't feel guilty about it. It's just food and it's part of an overall healthy diet if you have balance. Principle five is discover the satisfaction factor. Eating should be a pleasurable experience and if you enjoy what you're eating, that should help you feel satisfied and content. Identifying this satisfaction can help you learn when you've had enough of a food that you enjoy. Number six is feel your fullness. Trust your body to lead you to the right foods and listen for the signals that you're not hungry anymore. Tribbly and Resch also recommend pausing in the middle of eating to ask yourself how the food tastes and how hungry are you at this very moment. Number seven is cope with your emotions with kindness. Learn to recognize that food restriction can trigger loss of control and emotional eating. Learn to identify your emotions and find ways to deal with them that don't involve food. Number eight is respect your body. Embrace your body so you can feel better about it and better about who you are. Number nine is movement. You need to feel the difference. Be active for the sake of moving your body instead of tracking how many calories you've burned during exercise. Focusing on the positive energy that you get from working out can help keep you motivated. Number 10 is honor your health with gentle nutrition. Make food choices that are good for your health and taste great while making you feel good. Know that you don't have to eat perfectly to be healthy, that one snack, meal, or a day of less healthy eating won't torpedo your goals. These are all things that I've told people for years when working with them because it's about a balance. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and promotes the philosophy of intuitive eating with her clients. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and owner of the Yogavine Integrated Health Studio. She promotes intuitive eating with her clients. In this segment, she walks us through what we need to know about how we can start being more aware of our food choices and tune into our nutrition. Let's get back to the interview. When people are looking at making a change this time of year, because people, it's, it is a good time of year for people to reset. Every day is a new opportunity to change your health. But if it's the beginning of the year and it's something that's culturally sort of ingrained in us, how can somebody start to think about their food in a more you know, mindful or intuitive fashion? Yeah, so it's interesting. It depends where the person is in their life. So I can have 
somebody that's already on quite a bit of a wellness journey and their habits look pretty good. They sleep pretty good, but they don't have that comfort with food. So their mind might be racing all the time on what the food is going to do with them, how that's going to you know, play a role or you worry about feeding their family where somebody else might be more of the entire pantry is full of just crap, you know, preservative mm-hmm. foods, Everything's in a box. Everything has a high sodium, sugars, words that you can't pronounce. So I would really look at what the goals would be. So I really spend the first couple of sessions that I rarely even talk about food at all. Just letting them get comfortable with their routine. You know, what could they do better in the routine so their, their bodies are more rested? Hormone responses are decreasing the cortisol response or adrenaline response. Because when you eat the foods that are healthy for you, but your hormones are out of whack, then you're not actually able to metabolize or absorb the nutrients that you're giving. So mm-hmm. rather than jump right into that, you know, we call it gentle nutrition, which you would assume that the, the dietitian would, would bring you through first, I really look at lifestyle. Like how can we, how can we reduce the amount of stress in your day um, and then in your week, your month to move forward? forward so that's where I would start you um, on your journey you know any day but certainly right now I definitely have an increase in clients in January like I Mm. usually well I feel like you know you're sort of challenging some of the norms that we've been trained on as a population everybody thinks it's a diet it's restricting this it's doing this and it's eating getting rid of carbohydrates or whatever it would be I feel like there has to be an element of trust and that would make sense that you would want to understand the person and let them realize that you're not going to pressure them into something that might be relatively unnatural for them how how important is trust in the relationship you have with your clients That's a very very great point that you bring up learning your internal cues, your internally regulating eating is about building trust. And like any rapport with clinician, um, practitioner, and a client, you do build this trust in the relationship, but really you're handing the expertise over into the hands of the client. So they come to me thinking I'm the expert in eating, but I'm actually handing them the plate to say, I'm going to provide you with the tools, but you are the expert in your own body. And you're Mm -hmm. going to be the expert in understanding your internal cues to how foods feel for you, awareness in um, the response from foods that might be two, three, four hours later, sometimes a day. So the trust is building a trust rapport with the client, but they actually gain the trust in their own bodies. Mm -hmm. I can I can believe that. I mean, you know, the the change in nutrition over the holidays when you're with friends and family eating foods you normally wouldn't do. I, I could feel a difference in my, you know, my health, my energy level, my sleep quality, all those different things. And and I you know, I've always said the saying, it's not what you eat between Christmas and New Year's, it's what you eat between New Year's and Christmas. In other words, it's what you do most of the time. So yeah. how how is consistency and and being more routine, but not necessarily perfect, play a part in what you teach people? Yeah, so um, perfection is an interesting word because it's not about being perfect. And I think that's what get, gets us into trouble is when we feel that our lives need to be perfect. But it is consistency to build momentum in your lifestyle. Um, So I have always been an intuitive eater and didn't really realize, you know, that this was a notion. 
So I've always been very low preservatives. I worked with the cancer center in a nutrition product uh, and as a nutrition, it was through my school, but as a volunteer. And I feel like that experience really molded me into wanting to be preservative free. So we often have some something that shifts us in our lives. Yeah. Um, so that shift might be something that comes when I work with, with the client, but the shift needs to come from your motivation, internal drive, and that from there will build your consistency because you can't be consistent without some um, deep-rooted um, motivational factor inside. And mm -hmm. too often, it's been ingrained from our, our mothers, um, a family member, you could have been bullied growing up in terms of your weight, or female or male, maybe the male has been bullied for being underweight and not having enough muscle. So they're bulking up um, and adopting negative eating patterns just for that body image. So I, I really do feel that the consistency needs to really be built from that internal drive. And then you have these non-negotiables. And to have consistency, you need to have certain things that every day you know, are non-negotiables to you. So it's not, it's different than damage control, which is very diet mentality. If you do this, then I'm going to work out more. It, it's more about the sleep would be a non-negotiable. It would be consistency with sleep. Um, having a certain amount of fruits and vegetables to give you those nutrients, antioxidants, protective factors. This is going to be consistency that when you do kind of stream off of your uh, normal rhythm, that you've got a protective factor there. Right, right. And you know, you say consistency. So when you have consistency, it means you're going against some sort of goal. When you set goals for people, you're likely not using weight, as we talked about. What are some of the goals people should set for themselves? Mm, also very good, very good. So and and again, that would be a shift for people to want to want to build that trust rapport with me that knowing that weight is not my number one goal. That, you know, sometimes people may, might not call back for that second appointment because they're in to lose weight. And as soon as they hear that weight loss might not actually be the end result. So understanding that goal, my goal is definitely energy and vitality. I feel that knowing your own internal rhythm, your own internal clock to find out what your energy is. So that might be decluttering your physical space. I think that, you know, even feng shui is really important. Uh, what spaces do you have to go to clear your mind that you can de-stress? So that would be the meditation piece. So if something is causing you havoc in your life, your work right now, of course, the pandemic, there's so many factors playing. Do you have a space that you can go a corner? Um, it doesn't have to be elaborate that you can go and de-stress. So that would be a big goal for me in terms of building energy. Mm -hmm. You know, energy obviously is going to come from your dietary intake as well. So the, the foods that you choose will build energy, but if energy is goal, then we can look at the umbrella underneath it and all the things that come into play. Another goal would definitely be consistency and momentum. So we build those non-negotiables. But when I look at a goal, I often get a client, we, we almost do it like a web. So I create a circle. Sometimes I'll, I'll you know, pull these words that people are um, saying in them in their own mindset, right? So we do a 24-hour recall for diet um, to see what they've eaten in 24 hours. I don't really care so much about what the food intake is so much as what is the internal 
dialogue going on with the client to see where their goals really lie. And I don't want to create a goal that's too far away from where they are. So the goal is really meeting the client where they are and allowing them to build awareness into where they are. And then the goal can shift. Right. And I think that, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I did in my research was I didn't necessarily tell people how to eat. I educated them on what they were eating. Right. And I think that when it comes to awareness, there's unconscious incompetence where people have, and I say this all the time in the show is they're, they're completely oblivious to what they're doing wrong. And then they get consciously incompetent. So they're aware that they're doing things wrong. And that is usually a motivator to be able to be consciously competent. So they can end up making better choices a little bit harder than they would have. But how important is the education around the ingredients or the types of foods or the impact of certain foods on their body for what you're eating. So I have to think that intuitive eating means that you're understanding what you're consuming. Yes. And I think it's extremely important where I would start to delve into this information depends on what part of the journey the client is on. And a lot of it is making peace with food. So just to give you an example of somebody that lives uh, a life that there are very few fresh ingredients in the home, very little food prep, a lot of takeout, drive-throughs, preservative from a box, anything tearing from a package, to throw education in terms of, we you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, limiting meat, increasing fatty fish that's going to give you omega-3 antioxidants. I can throw all of this information at somebody. But it's, it'll be a little bit overwhelming. So in terms of the education on ingredients, again, it, it, it is timely, but I like to do a pantry tour. Just on that point, when you look at somebody's pantry, can it tell you a lot about what their triggers are for food and things like that? Because a lot of people have a little stash. Yeah, absolutely. And I usually will say, what are you comfortable just getting rid of it? And without getting rid of everything at once, because if somebody's going to get rid of everything, then where have you learned to make peace with food? At some point, that food's going to come back in when the stress response comes back, which we never really know, right? Especially right now, so many unknowns, job stability, relationships, everything. So how do we really know when that trigger is going to come at us? So I like to say, what are you okay with sending out of the house? And what things would you like to keep on the shelf? So then we kind of work with making peace with those foods. But if you were to tune into my pantry tour, I usually have all the different grains, whole grains, um, all the different like chia seeds, hemp hearts, all those boosters that you can add in to your diet, label reading. If you were going to have things out of a can, which things would be ideal to have on the shelf with lower preservatives that you could rinse. And definitely I go pretty deep into that and I get really super excited about it. We're here with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating expert. She's walking us through what intuitive eating is, how we can start to make informed choices about food, and how it can be a healthy part of our lifestyle. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're here with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating expert. She's walking us through what intuitive eating is, in this segment, she helps us navigate making changes to our healthy eating habits in a family setting, as well as the role that exercise plays in a healthy lifestyle. One of the things I'd like to sort of address is that if 
people are trying to do this and they're trying to do it with their family, you know, this can be challenging. So it's easy enough for somebody to be able to go and, and stock up for themselves and live by themselves. How do you deal with families and people that may not necessarily same, share the same motivation to make these changes? Excellent, excellent point. You know, it really depends on the dynamics in the family, um, how many people in the household. And of course, I get clients of all different ages. So if you were to look at somebody 22 years old, hasn't maybe went to university, but came back home, is living at home, is trying to make these changes in the house, but the family is not adopting healthy habits. Somebody might be interested in it, but not actually pulling the trigger to make it happen, to, to actively engage in consistently healthier habits. So sometimes I get them to clear a little section in their pantry, or they might have a small fridge. In the example of a 22-year-old, for example, that small fridge might be in their rooms. It just gives them a sense of independence in what they're trying to cultivate with healthier behaviors. It also gives them ownership into what they're doing. I'm very strong in owning your health. So definitely you want to look and see where your support networks are. Identify what aren't your supports and make friends with that, but not necessarily be it as a roadblock that's going to prevent you from living the life that you're, you're now wanting to engage in. Because people come to me to want to live a healthier life versus the hospital is more somebody's had a heart attack. I go in to see them. They might not be ready for change. So Definitely the people that come to see me are ready to change. So I just help to then build that structure in the family. If the family then adopt, adopt some of those behaviors, then we can look at shifting that. If it's like between uh, a couple in the household, I find that generally the, the spouse or the partner will be supportive of the person engaging in the activity, but not necessarily ready to take on that behavior change themselves. So that still is beneficial to their transformation into a healthier life. It also mm -hmm. depends on who the grocery shopper in the, is in the house and who cooks the meals. So mm -hmm. most of the times I find that the grocery list is going to be super important. So I bring that into the pantry tour. What's getting low? What do you need? What are foods you want on hand all the time? So you're not stuck. And then the other piece of it is most Every person I work with becomes more comfortable in the kitchen and preparing their food. So you mm -hmm. need to really be on deck with getting dirty, getting hands dirty, getting more dishes going, you know, and, and letting go of this perfection of needing the perfect Instagram post of food and just, just get in there and experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And you know, I, there's something to be said about, you know, say you have a partner that might not be fully on board, but is supportive, but being exposed to some of those triggers, it does allow you to become a little bit more at peace with the food, but also recognize where you're falling short. Uh, we used to do work with the offshore and you'd never take French fries away completely because then everybody would want French fries. You left them there, but you put healthy, good options that were creative and tasty out there. People may have a few, but they're not having a plate like they used to. And I think that that whole restriction policing food. And that's one of the things in the intuitive eating is challenging the food police. But one thing I really want to talk about now, and you have a huge background in this is movement. One of the core factors that you guys look at is uh, movement and feeling the difference in your body. Can you tell me the importance of exercise with food? Yes, my movement has, uh, I still do not track calories. I have never tracked calories in my life. 
in terms of exercise. I, you know, I have an Android watch that can measure it, but I, to this day, have not done that. So I've always exercised to feel good. I feel like it's a mental release for me. I like to work hard with a really good sweat, get the weights going, but it's always to challenge yourself. So I look at it as exercises like you against you, right? Mm -hmm. But not necessarily against the calorie in, calorie out. And that's really a big piece of intuitive eating too, is you're exercising to stay on track with momentum. So we know that exercise does not create weight loss, but absolutely it does create this this pathway and this environment for you to stay on track with a healthy lifestyle and healthy behaviors. It is interesting that people that are doing this clock for clock caloric intake with exercise still fall short, still run into this challenge with binge eating after exercise. It's phenomenal how many people do that because you are in that restricted area like you just brought up. So if you find that you're restricted and you're on this clock for one in, one out, it's, it just becomes a constant battle. So exercise, I look at as a non-negotiable. You can break it up throughout the day. You can do a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. Depending on the mental health of the, of the client and, and the reasons that somebody exercises, sometimes it's unhealthy reasons that they exercise for caloric restriction and weight loss. I might start to break up the amount of exercise at one time and filter it throughout the day. So it becomes more of a stress release and a way to combat emotions that come up. Frustration, anger definitely can be really good. Or even if somebody's feeling low and you want an energy boost. So Mm -hmm. I look at exercise as a way to keep you on track. And I usually will intertwine it with meditation Mm -hmm. uh, and and the exercise depend on, you know, the energy goals for the client as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because exercise can be actually stressful for people. You know, when I had my gym for years, sometimes the last thing I wanted to do was go to the gym and work out because it was like going back to work. So I found other activities, whether it be yoga or hiking or doing something that was completely different. And I also find that, when I'm exercising, everything else seems to fall into place. I'm more mm-hmm. organized. My food choices are better. I'm just healthier in general. And I think that's one of the one of the byproducts that people really discount a lot when it comes to it. What are some of the types of exercise you would promote with people? I know everybody's different, but what are some of your favorite types? Hands down, yoga for sure. I love yoga and it's been a part of my life for a very, very, very long time. I actually was introduced to yoga in uh, the yoga studio in Newfoundland. And I started with chair yoga of all things, which is just so funny. And just the alignment that you get. So you can build it more of a fast pace into a vinyasa flow or just enjoy a stretch from a hatha class. I also love the hit Pilates, which I teach. It's an inferno Pilates class. I mean, traditionally it would be done in the hot heated room, but now uh, with the pandemic, we're getting people doing it from home and virtually. And, you know, you do this 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, Tabata, 30 seconds on, five seconds off, off. I'm sure you know all about it. And you really get a good mix of the whole body workout from cardio to strength with legs and arms. And it's really a challenge of you against you. So, um, and it's, it's done at very 
low impact, but high intensity. So it's all levels. You know, I have people doing push-ups against the walls. You don't need any equipment. We do have Pilates with weights, but it's really meant to attract people to where they are in their own bodies and in their own minds without feeling limited to their body shape. And that's another beautiful thing right now with virtual and my virtual clients Mm -hmm. is they may not feel comfortable at the body size that they are or wait to go into a facility or a studio and everything that goes around with that. So that's building more trust again in their own bodies that they are capable of movement. You know, even a walk to people is difficult because of people watching them. So, you know, exercise and movement it really can come in so many different factors. And uh, sometimes the body just needs to rest and it's more of a restorative class that the nervous central nervous system is just able to shut down and do what it needs with a stretch. Mm-hmm. And just a bit of uh, news for everybody that's afraid of going to a gym. Sometimes the people that are most insecure in the gym are the people that are in the best shape. So, <laughs> and that's why they become obsessive about the type of exercise. We're here with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating expert. She's walking us through what intuitive eating is, how we can start to make informed choices about food, and how it can be a healthy part of our lifestyle. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're here with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating expert. She's walking us through everything we need to know about intuitive eating. In this segment, we talked about the role of nutrition in combating mental health challenges, as well as what supports exist for those looking to learn more about intuitive eating. Let's check it out. What's the link between having stress and digestive disorders and how can eating better not only alleviate stress, but also alleviate those those conditions that are associated with stress? Yeah, so one that many of us are familiar with is IBS, just the bowel playing havoc. So just just having a poor digestion, you know, not having a regular bowel movement can play havoc on the body. Stress probably all can relate to being stressed and the bowel just not working properly. And sometimes that's a physical stressor. So many of us are not traveling right now, but even just ear travel can play havoc on the gut. So gut health is is huge. I love it. It's a really fast-growing topic in research. There's so much information evolving. Just looking at that gut microflora and microbiota content in the body, and even though it is hard to measure healthy bacteria in the gut, we're getting really excited that knowing that it is definitely promising for uh, anything from diabetes to, you know, control of sugar regulation to more of gut health ones like Crohn's or colitis and then more of emotional of of depression and things like that. So it can play a huge role, gut health. And, you know, looking at something from a probiotic supplement to more just increasing prebiotics in the body. So we don't actually always need to take that supplement. So just going with whole grains, plant-based, nuts and seeds, it's basically providing the gut with the food to make its own probiotics. So we can do so much on our own just with the healthy ingredients in our own houses to build that healthy gut microbiota. Certainly there's a lot of evolving information with decreasing meat and uh, the implications that that plays on the gut. 
mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. It's been established that mental health and nutrition go hand in hand. Now, it's not totally clear how stress, anxiety, and irritable bowel syndrome are related or which one comes first, but studies show that they are related. Approximately 60% of IBS patients have mental health challenges. This isn't surprising considering mental health conditions are likely the most common ailment we will all face in today's fast-paced society. Generalized anxiety disorder is the most common cofactor between mental health and IBS, while depression can also show a strong association. Regardless of whether or not people have irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety is associated with stressful thoughts around daily life and issues such as health, money, or careers. Those can lead to other symptoms that include upset stomach, trembling, muscle aches, insomnia, dizziness, and irritability. There's a few theories about how the connection between IBS and anxiety exists. Although psychological problems like anxiety don't cause the digestive disorder, people with IBS may be more sensitive to emotional troubles. Stress and anxiety may make the mind more aware of spasms in the colon, and IBS may be triggered by the immune system, which we all know is affected by stress. So how can you reduce these symptoms? Well, first and foremost, always start with your doctor's opinion. But there's things that they're likely gonna recommend, like starting to exercise if you aren't already, making sure you get enough sleep, and eating a healthy diet that's good for the digestive system. They may also recommend to reduce stress through various techniques, which may help ease IBS symptoms and other digestive disorders. So if I'm listening to this and I hear, you know, what you're saying is resonating with me, I'm sick of going on yet another diet New Year's and then coming off it when somebody gives me chocolates on Valentine's Day. Uh, mm-hmm. which is really what happens to a lot of people. And they've invested in all this stuff like uh, new treadmills that become clothes hangers, et cetera. How do they start? Who do they talk to? How do they get the right advice so that they don't end up repeating failed attempts of the past? Yeah. So, I mean, the whole idea is giving yourself this, we call unconditional permission to eat. And when you're ready to take care of the body, this self-care notion, when you're ready to finally let go of the control that you feel you need with food, I think that your world will really start to open up. So anybody that can be a mindful leader for you, there's lots of different resources out there. The Intuitive Eating Workbook is fantastic with Evelyn Tribal. I really highly recommend that uh, workbook and book. It's a great place to start. The workbook can give you a lot of tools to start to increase awareness of hunger cues, Sadie, just overall, any sort of triggers that you may have, but any mindfulness activities that you can begin to engage in and also understanding what you're feeding your brain. What are you looking at on social media? Start there, declutter, declutter what information is going into the mind and what sort of information is coming out. You know, what is your self-talk? What is your negative self-talk? So it's not always about the food. It's more about self-care. And I think that there's so many resources. And I think that even virtually, I mean, I, I, I love that my um, business is growing and expanding now that I'm able to see clients anywhere from a virtual standpoint and get you moving. So there's lots of different coaches out there. And I think that when you're ready, that you'll start to gravitate towards somebody that can work with you. 
Mm. And you, you just said a, a lot of different things is there's a lot of little areas we can improve by a one out of 10 this year. We can work on our mental health. We can work on our eating. We can work on our exercise. We can work on our technology habits around social media and being on our phone. And, and I think that's really a great place for people to start for the year. So we're winding down here. I've really, really enjoyed this chat. Is there any advice that you would give people to sort of closing comments when they enter the new year and maybe a, a new them when it comes to health? Yes, absolutely. So the take home from today or just moving into a new year right now would be addressing conflict with eating attitudes and behaviors in yourself. So addressing those internal rhythms or cues, self-talk, negative talk, that you can move more into a transformation of peace with food, peace within yourself, and building a healthy relationship inside yourself that then can move into a healthier relationship with others around you and create that healthy pathway. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you to Lorna for sharing her expertise with us today. Intuitive eating is definitely a departure for some of us from the traditional conditioning we have around dieting. As much as we want diets to work, the research shows that without behavior change and health literacy, the results are often temporary. Some of the key takeaways from today's episode are that there's physical hunger and there's emotional hunger, and we need to know the difference between the two, and not only know the difference, but have tactics that we can employ to keep us on track. Some of the key principles like making peace with our food, which causes so many of us so much stress, or having respect for our body and nourishing it through healthy habits are all things we should take with us. Regardless of what our school of thought is on diet nutrition, I feel like those are all things we can agree on. After all, Virginia Woolf once said, one cannot think well, love well, or sleep well if one has not dined well. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.